Hello, and welcome to another edition of IDS Talks. My name is Hunter McMahon, and I'm the COO at IDS, and I'm joined here today by Lori Armstrong-Halber of Fox Rothschild. We're going to have a great conversation about how the world of labor has transformed from binders to hard drives. But before we get started, Lori, you want to give a quick introduction to yourself? Yeah, thank you, Hunter. Thanks for having me today. I am a 27-year, I think, labor and employment lawyer, uh, which means I spend some of my time doing uh, employment law type issues, and I spend half my time doing traditional labor, which is a little unusual. Usually, we, us folks pick one or the other. Um, but I think today we're going to be spending our time in the labor space. In my free time, I corrupt young legal minds at Temple Law School. <laughs> so, <laughs> do, you, do you start your course by saying you should drop out now? I, you know, I don't actually, because funny you say that. I remember wanting to go to law school and talking to various lawyers. I was encouraged to go speak to partners in different firms, and almost all of them were miserable. And I thought, I want to talk to somebody who likes this. And I did. And the people that like it, I mean, I love what I do. And most of the people that I know that are in this space really like what we do. It's very relevant. It's front page stuff. Um, and it's interesting. But I so I don't try to discourage them. But I do warn them that they ought to know what they're getting into. Absolutely. I, I remember when I was uh, at law school and uh, working for a firm as a clerk in IT at the time, and, and the partner walked in and said, hey, there's this new thing called electronic discovery. I think you you might like it. You know, it blends the world of technology and legal. And lo and behold, here we are today. So let's talk about that. Let's let's get into the topic at hand. Uh, when we first met, you were actually telling me how you used to be able to walk in with a three ring binder. A Redwell was a big case. Yeah, I mean, and I think uh, specifically in the context of of labor law, it's always been sort of, I mean, it's based on a statute that was passed in the 30s, right? And it has been sort of this secret society world where labor practitioners have their sort of own rules and it's governed by the National Labor Relations Board. And there are all sorts of committees to help interpret the rules. And there we have our own treatises, the developing labor law and how to take a case before the NLRB and things like that. And it had traditionally been a very sort of old school uh, area of the practice of law. And one of the things that I think most folks don't realize is the way you handle an NLRB proceeding is really different than, you know, kind of what we see on law and order or one of the, or even a, a regular litigator, right? In, in regular world, right? Um, there is discovery and you have an opportunity before you go before a fact finder to exchange information, documents, to take depositions. So everybody sort of knows what's going to happen in those you know, magic movie moments, the aha smoking gun things that happen on TV, they don't actually happen in in regular litigation. Right. Um, it's a little different in labor world. Uh, you don't have that pre-discovery opportunity. The parties sort of send each other uh, requests and you show up on the date of hearing with a box with binders. And the ALJ will say, you know, exchange your information. Do you all want a half an hour, if you're lucky, a couple hours to look through what the other party has given you? Um, and that's I mean, that, the way so, it's so traditionally would, been. That, that's fascinating because I, I, was, I was talking to my daughter who's 12 about searching for something. You don't have that opportunity in boxes, if you will. You, you're, you're flipping through pages. You're not running mass searches. You're not using analytics. You're not using any of your 
your your tool set that we we are accustomed to in discovery and, and looking for the needles in the haystack. You're you're in the fight in the moment looking for through documents, but it's yep. change or it's changing. Yeah, I think uh, I think you were uh, ability to or able, sorry, to join us uh, last year at our midwinter meeting. And you probably heard some discussion about this. <laughs> there was quite um, a bit of discussion, more <laughs> like side comments about what was going on. But sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there is a tension between sort of those that recognize that labor law has to catch up with the rest of the world and the the lack of, I guess, knowledge and resources, familiarity with e-discovery in particular, that is really creating hurdles. I think you heard even members of the board and the general counsel's office saying, you know, it's really incumbent upon us and our folks that work for us to be knowledgeable about these things. And yet we are seeing all sorts of tension um, where, uh, you know, they've requested electronic information and then it's produced and then um, the board doesn't like the format in which it's produced. And you're seeing, you know, arguments before the judges about the documents themselves. And that's all new to labor world. Well, and I think it, it, an important distinction between the labor world and what we'll, we'll kind of refer to, I think you called it the normal world or the regular world in litigation. It's the timeline you're under. You're not yeah. you're not searching for something and, and you've got months to deal with it. You you've got days or weeks, right? Um, yeah, I mean, not a lot of time. Usually um, you'll get an information request or subpoena. And again, you know, the the intent of the board is to sort of fast track a lot of these issues. The policy behind that is that uh, workers should have the right to make decisions about whether they want to be unionized as quickly as possible. The union side, well, I'm trying to be objective here. The union side would argue that employers continually try to obstruct that and um, do it with various, they would say, nefarious means. And the management side would say, well, you know, while we recognize that we have a more immediate relationship with the workers, you have information that has traditionally not been available to employers. And um, I'll mention the Starbucks cases because they're all over the news, but there have been several fights about discovery. Um, if you Google it, you can look up where um, judges in different jurisdictions have said, you know, in, uh, the workers or the union or whomever really do need to produce some of this information. All of this is new uh, or at least non-traditional. You know, if it's happened in the past, it's been very rare. Well, and I think that that's an important distinction, though, and, and we often will find, you know, we used to be data poor where, you know, it was a few documents you talked about Redwells in boxes or binders in boxes. Everybody has information now. So all parties have access to some information, but there's such a volume that we're dealing with and a complexity of the data that we're dealing with today that it is not, hey, print the five emails so that I can put them in my binder. We're dealing with a lot of data. We'll just leave it at that. A lot of data to kind of sift through and understand what is going on in a very compressed timeline. And then you're fraught with, but we don't like the format we asked for. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a case, um, again, it's a Starbucks case out of Vernon, Connecticut, 
And as I said, you know, normally there's no pre-hearing discovery in a labor dispute hearing, but the board had uh, subpoenaed Starbucks. I guess there's a document called the Petition Store Playbook. I'm not revealing any secrets, by the way. This is if you Google, you can find articles on this um, for an, a hearing that was upcoming. And Starbucks had responded to the petition, um, or I'm sorry, with a petition to ask that the subpoena be revoked. Um, noting that such a playbook document did not exist by that name and they would have to produce store managers to testify to that point rather than a records custodian. There's a bunch of discovery, normal discovery dispute type stuff. Well, the ALJ denied the request and ruled that Starbucks needed to produce the playbook at issue um, or have a records custodian testify as to the search for the documents and ruled, this is the key point, I think for our purpose, that if Starbucks produced its documents in TIFF plus format, it needed to do so at least four days before the hearing because the board said it's relatively vendor, relativity vendor needed two or three days to process the data. Well, <clears throat> that's not how our rules normally work. So you now, walk in with the box. You, yeah. you, you all go into the other room and say, okay, what do I have? Now you're yeah. getting, now, so now they're, they're getting... asking for what we would consider to be pre-hearing discovery. Yeah. Well, um, a three panel, or I'm sorry, three member panel affirmed that ALJ's decision, finding that the ALJ has broad discretion to rule upon petitions to revoke subpoenas and regulate the hearing. Um, and, and in their opinion, that panel, and I'm quoting, conclude that the judge did not abuse her discretion in requiring that the documents produced in TIFF plus format be produced a reasonable number of business days herefore before the hearing resumption date. Starbucks argued, as I said, that the production of such documents in advance of the hearing amounted to impermissible pre-hearing discovery. And the panel rejected that argument because the documents produced in TIFF plus format, which they requested, needed to be made available in advance for the third-party vendor to be able to process the information in a usable format. Now, I get I understand. I mean, there is a practical issue here. That's probably true, right? How is you can't really walk in with e-discovery? Yep. Like, oh, here's my laptop. You got a half an hour to search. I mean, I guess you could, but it seems like it would be. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're talking <clears throat> viable but not realistic. So, I mean, this is more of a labor policy argument than a probably an e-discovery issue. But I will get on my soapbox a little bit. I understand that the NLRA and the NLRB come from the viewpoint that the employer has an inherently coercive relationship with employees because they have the direct relationship because they pay the employees. The employees are subject to generally whatever the employer dictates in terms of right. terms and conditions of employment and that the purpose of the act and the purpose of the board is to put protections into place to sort of equalize that playing field, if you will, so that employees can have an uncoerced opportunity to decide whether or not they want to be unionized. I get that. But the rules are really becoming weighted the other way. I don't really have a problem. You want to allow pre-hearing discovery, then change the rules and allow it for both sides. But th this is almost the maturity that the e-discovery market has gone in dating back to, what was it, 2000 ish and then 2000 some of the early amendments we need to change the rules of the game so that they're fair and known not coming into something with a which way is this going to fall 
Yeah, look, and the the I mean, the board is I don't think this is any surprise. I mean, President Biden, when he was elected, said he wanted to make this the most pro-union administration in history. And all of uh, the steps that his administration has taken and the board and the general counsel, you know, very clearly are moving in that direction. But at some point, like it can't be a rogue agency with entirely unfair rules and and procedures. But isn't that the problem right now, though, that the rules have not caught up to the times? And so you really don't know what rules you're playing by. And so you're you're playing by the request and the seat of your pants at some level, hoping for a reasonable outcome in in rulings instead of saying, okay, here are the rules. I know how to comply with the rules. I know what the rules are so I can strategize for my client, which is where your expertise comes in, not get. All right. Well, we'll see how this one falls. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting to me, I guess, as you've said, this is probably just maybe 20 years behind where, you know, we're talking about workplace law, where employment litigation was, right, um, or any sort of litigation in general, um, in terms of discovery and production and e-discovery issues, the the NLRB proceedings are just decades behind. And so it's creating a bit of a mess. Well, because, I mean, technology waits for the law, right? Said nobody in the practice <laughs> of law ever. But but the interesting thing here is that we've got to get the rules caught up. But, you know, I think we'll, we'll dangle the carrot of don't worry, AI is going to solve everything, right? <clears throat> yeah. Well, apparently I'm going to be out of a job and maybe I'll be retired by then. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're going to be inspiring legal minds all over the country instead of just at one law school. But I, I think it's important that technology is is at some level part of the problem, right? We're creating more records than we ever have before. We're having to get through those records. There is a way to get through those records by leveraging technology, but it is not the way that the rules are built to facilitate. So we, so the rules probably need some guidance, updates, or commentary so that everybody can play by them. But the magic button of AI is not going to solve this problem. This is not a hey, we can get all of our answers through generative AI and, and we'll all be better in three months time. This is a kind of a core fundamental problem that expectations need to be level set. Rules need to be updated so that we can all play in the same sandbox. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, the way unions organize, the types of data or information that would be relevant to these proceedings has evolved. Right. Um, you know, particularly during COVID. And I would suggest that unions are ha- were better at it, better at using social media, using electronic communication and other similar opportunities to organize workers. And prior to maybe the last five, I would say the last five years, um, organizing was done the old cardboard box way, right? Somebody would go in and talk to workers and hand out literal like three by five cards and say, if you're interested, fill out your name. And so when you were going to a hearing and you were having a dispute about what happened, the documents that you would need were probably paper documents, but it's not like that anymore. And so the very the most relevant information you're going to have is going to be an electronic format, which I think puts a sense of urgency to fixing this situation. 
but uh, our worlds have evolved. Our day-to-day worlds have evolved. I mean, I, I was trying to explain to my daughter what a beeper was or a pager was. And she was just, <laughs> well, I had one of those. She, 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 she was not having it. She goes, I don't understand. You couldn't type on it and send, you know, group text messages. Um, but, but even the, the supercomputers that we carry around in our pocket are vastly different than what it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or let alone back to, you know, the, the, the three by five cards probably. Um, and, and, and I think that the intentions of everything are well and good, but we need to update it with the, with the electronic times that we live so that everybody can, everybody can have an equal seat at the table and actually understand what, how it's going to go. And then let's move forward and, and get to the root of the purposes of the hearings and the, the investigations and and the questions being asked. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Lori, I really appreciate it. And I want to thank you for joining us today and our listeners. If you would like to learn more about IDS or subscribe, you can visit IDSINC.com or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Thanks again for joining us. And I'm sure we'll continue this conversation. Thanks so much, Hunter.